TikTok, for instance, is a social media platform which is widely used by young people. So this is a, an example which is uh, suggesting uh, that uh, uh, the technological success of China can have a bigger impact on the younger generation in, in other countries. We have a saying in Washington, money talks, though it means you have to pay to play. The Americans have the bulk of the funding for defense uh, as well as a number of other things. So I think that's where it's going to stand for the moment and maybe for the foreseeable future. All those big old powers, they basically control uh, what people can see and hear, and especially with the um, uh, mass media power. Uh, as a, a media professional in China, I really welcome everyone. I'll come here and to see China uh, as it is and not see China through uh, the media. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun. A new report by the German Marshall Fund, a think tank in Washington, finds that people across the Atlantic have complex views on China, with a considerable number showing a desire to enhance cooperation with China on trade, new technologies, and crisis management. The report Transatlantic Trends 2023 surveyed public opinion in 14 countries on both sides of the Atlantic. It also finds that while most respondents expect the relationship between the U.S. and Europe to remain the same in the years ahead, a slight decline since 2022 in optimism about closer relations is also evident. How important are transatlantic relations to today's world? How does the public across the Atlantic view China today? Now, for these questions and more, I'm joined by Harvey Zodin, former vice president of the ABC TV network and senior fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Liu Yunyun, associate editor in chief of Beijing Review. Also, we have Dr. George Zugopoulos, director of EU China programs and senior research fellow at European Institute of Nice. A big welcome to all three of you for joining me today.、Um, now, first up, let's before we get into the report, let's take a look in general、uh, of the transatlantic relationship. Now,、uh, maybe Dr. Zugopoulos, let me start with you. How important is it really,、um, respectively, respectively, for the U.S. and European countries? Well, transatlantic relations are highly significant for、uh, both sides. And its history itself, which is demonstrating the significance of of those、uh, relations. So, by looking into history, we can understand、uh, that the United States and Western Europe during the Cold War, and later the European Union after the Cold War, worked together on several、uh, areas and issues. This does not mean that disagreements never emerged, but the two partners have managed to deal with the disagreements. And have attempted to proceed together in responding to different type of challenges. So the answer to the question is that this is a very important relationship for both sides.、Mm. Harvey, what's your opinion?、Um, I think the relationship is very important. It's been import- important, especially、uh, for much of the 20th century.、Um, the relationship, though,、uh, is changing now with the birth of the European Union. Uh, we have a new political dynamic, in a sense, and the EU 
is more and more, but slowly, uh, exercising some strategic autonomy from the United States. And this is a work in progress, mm -hmm. but I think that the trend is going to continue uh, into the future. Mm, right, Yuyun, how? What do you think about it? Uh, first of all, I, I think I have a little problem with the name of the report. It, it is said uh, it's a transatlantic uh, report. Actually, if you look at the map of the world, mm. uh, there are Africa and Latin America, most of um, right. the Atlantic Ocean. So um, when when we are talking about transatlantic relationships, and sometimes we are referring to, um, you know, uh, the Western Hemisphere. Uh, I mean, the West, uh, the European continent, and the uh, the, uh, the North American continent. And I, I think um, I agree with um, both of uh, our guests uh, who said this is very important. Uh, for the United States, I guess it's a security and defense corporation, their economic ties, and for European countries, and from a, a third-person point of view, mm. <laughs> I think it's um, about also about security and defense, and sometimes they have this kind of um, ideological uh, alignment uh, because they share um, you know, uh, pretty much the same uh, um, history and cultures. So, uh, yeah, they have um, a lot uh, in common. Mm, right. Um, uh, now, let's take a look at, you know, the factors uh, or the issues that are defining this relationship at the current stage. Now, Dr. Zugoplos, what do you think? What do you think, you know, the factors Where, are? Yeah. There, there are a variety of, of, of factors which are defining the relationship. I would say that security and economic collaboration are the most important uh, factors. During the Cold War, it was uh, security. After the Cold War, it's a combination of economic collaboration, uh, trade, but also security, especially in the uh, wake of the conflict which is going on in, uh, in Ukraine. But uh, generally speaking, uh, the two sides share a common understanding of the world, mm -hmm. and this is allowing uh, close collaboration on, on, different, uh, on different issues. Again, I want to repeat that this does not mean that the two sides do not disagree, but the fact that they have uh, more or less reached a common denominator on how to understand the world uh, helps them to proceed together on responding to challenges such as security and uh, global economic affairs. Mm. Harvey, what do you think? I agree with everything the professor just said. I think at some point we need to bring China into the conversation because mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a factor that we haven't discussed yet. And China being such an important economic, such an important political actor is definitely uh in the background and definitely present uh, in these attitudes and in this discussion. So where before, uh, after the Cold War, we might have had this uh, uh, unilateral, unipolar world. Now, uh, again, we have a multipolar uh, world and it's at least three poles. So you've got the United States, uh, you've got the EU, you've got China, and uh, this is a little bit oversimplified, but this is a more complicated world, and it's a world in which uh, there are a lot of challenges. And I believe that those challenges are affecting people's attitudes, mm. because uh, what happens with China is going to be very, very important in uh, how the world uh, develops, how the economy develops, and in fact, if there's any world at all. The Chat Lounge. 
The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Let's see how the report,、um, you know,、uh, unfolded throughout、uh, from the very beginning. Well, actually, the survey by done by the German Marshall Fund、uh, collected public opinion in fourteen countries across the Atlantic.、Uh, they are Canada, France. Germany, Italy, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Spain, Sweden, Turkey,、uh, the UK, and also the United States.、Um, now,、uh, let, let's see on the relations with China. On average, thirty-one percent of respondents see China as a competitor.、Uh, fewer than a quarter. Uh, that's about twenty three percent see China as a partner, and about nineteen、uh, percent. That's around one in five view China as a rival.、Uh, the report said, you know, the results mirror the complexity of the issue.、Um, you know, how how people in these countries view China.、Um, now, Doctor Zugaplus, I mean, these countries、uh, vary. You know, the conditions vary from、uh, one to another. But uh, in general, uh, how is the Western society's perception of China shaped? Do you think, and what factors might have influenced,、uh, you know, this perception? Well,、uh, yes, as you、uh, nicely pointed out, there are different factors in in different、uh, countries, but the the general uh, uh, sentiment is that、uh, China is viewed in a triple way, and this is uh, uh, the result of of, of the survey.、Uh, practically,、uh, I would say that this mirrors the the political. Interpretation and framing of China, especially in the European Union, but also in the United States, and this is then reflected in how public opinion in both、uh, America and several European、uh, countries are understanding、uh, China. So, from the moment the political elites are viewing China this way, I would say that it is natural for the public also、uh, to follow suit,、uh, and、uh, I would say that the most important.、Uh, Uh, conclusion of 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 this uh, uh, survey of the analysis of this survey is that、uh, despite existing problems, there are、uh, still a significant number of respondents in both sides of of the Atlantic who believe that、uh, despite competition, a cooperation is still possible between the West and China, and I would like to focus on this.、Mm. Well then,、um, Dr. Zugaplus,、um, in in European countries, I mean, what、uh, from what channels do you know、uh, residents or the population in European countries acquire their opinion about China? Well, it it all starts from 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 politics. So it's the、mm-hmm. political elites which are、uh, making the beginning and which are exercising policy, and then obviously this policy is、uh, represented in the.、Uh, Media and public、uh, agendas. This is a typical way、uh, on on how the so-called uh, uh, agenda-setting process is being、uh, formulated. And、uh, from the moment the European Commission, in the last uh, uh, four years, more or less,、uh, adjusted its approach、uh, to China and is viewing China in a triple way, I would say that this is the main reason why the result of the survey is also echoing. Exactly this triple framing of China. So it all starts from from politics. To be crystal clear and uh, uh, straightforward in replying to your question,、mm. Harvey,、uh, what about the situation in the United States? I mean, how? 
people, you know, generally generally acquire their opinion or impression of China? Is it through the media, through you know the speeches by politicians, or you know by travel? I think they acquire it mostly by traditional media、mm. and more and more by social media. And in America,、uh, the narrative is very much anti-China because of the fact that about the only thing that American politicians and elites agree upon is uh, that uh, China. Is in some ways an ex- existential threat to America's position,、uh, hegemonic position as the number one country, and so the whole narrative is about who、uh, in the political class can beat up China、uh, the most strongly.、Mm. So we have a presidential election coming up in about 13 months, and this is going to be a race to the bottom with one politician outdoing. All the other politicians in trying to、uh, demonize China, and I think it's a very dangerous trend because we're already skating on thin ice, and we、uh, have a lot of things that、uh, we could work on together. We need to work on together that are existential threats,、uh, like、uh, global warming、uh, and other environmental issues, like、mm. global public health. But yet, the narrative is always. Uh, America good, West good, China bad. This is、uh, not going to be a very happy future. And if somebody like Donald Trump, or as I call them, a Donald Trump with a brain, gets elected,、mm-hmm. uh, it's going to get even worse. So I- I'm an optimist, but I'm not optimistic.、Mm. Yuan Yuan, what's your observation? And、um, you know, among these fourteen countries that、uh, have been surveyed, which country or which countries China policy has the biggest influence in the West? Do you think? Well, from my point of view, I guess maybe、um, Germany. All those big old powers, Germany, France, the UK,、mm. and all the、uh, big shots uh, in in, uh, in the EU. And because they basically control、uh, what people can see and hear, and especially with the、um, uh, mass media、mm-hmm. power, and they can get their message、uh, throughout the world.、Um, I agree with Harry,、uh, uh, who says、uh, all those、uh, narratives in the media, and、uh, this is something、um, I'm really afraid of because uh, as uh, as a media、uh, professional in China, I really、mm-hmm. welcome everyone. Uh, from from the EU, from European, from 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 America, and all come here and to see China、uh, as it is, and not see China through、uh, the media. Yunyun,、okay. why do why do you stress because, the necessity because, of you know people coming to China to see China?、Um, because you know in in the Western media, and when if you study if you study uh, uh, the, the journalism、uh, mm. in the West, and、uh, the, the teachers and lecturers will. Tell you,、uh, the media is to dig something bad, the, the dark side of somebody or、uh, a society.、Um, yeah,、mm. function of the media, the fourth estate,、uh, and also it's a mantra uh, in uh, the journalism:、uh, when it bleeds, it leads.、Mm. So、um, it's all about the dark side of society. But if you are going to、uh, that society and see for yourself, and you will find something different. It's just like、um, if we're going to the United States, and you find people are really nice. Hmm. Well, 
Indeed, that's uh, you know why uh, people always um, stress the importance of people to people exchanges through you know between countries. Now, Dr. Zugablas, which countries um, you know China policy do you think has the biggest influence in Western society? Is uh, is it the EU, or is it、uh, you know the old powers mentioned by Yun Yun, or is it simply the United States? Well, this is a very important、uh, question. But、mm-hmm. in order to reply to this question, is important to、uh, define how we、uh, understand the term influence. Because if we understand the term influence from the prism of economics and trade, for instance,、mm-hmm. China is everywhere as far as interconnectivity、uh, is concerned. Uh, if we interpret the term、uh, influence from the political perspective, then uh, China's uh, influence is uh, uh, much uh, lower uh, uh, in in the West. But in general, I would say that the relationship between、uh, the two sides,、uh, so U.S., Europe, and uh, and uh, China,、uh, despite problems, is still uh, evolving. Uh, Uh, in uh, in in a matter in a manner that uh, can uh, show that、uh, cooperation is still possible, and I would also like to to make a remark about Turkey, which is、uh, which is a country、uh, that is covered in the uh, in the uh, report in the survey. It's a very important country, for instance, which is not a member of the European Union, and this also offers a quite balanced view of China. This is indicative, for example. As I said before, of the different political approach of Turkey vis-à-vis China, which is reflected in the Turkish media about China. So always is very important to look at the specific country and draw a conclusion about the interpretation of China, China's influence in this country, and also relations between the specific country and China itself.、Mm. Well, the survey shows、uh, respondents are divided on assessing China as a partner. Competitor or rival for the country, and considerable shares of people are uncertain about classifying the relationship at all.、Um, so, Harvey, why do you think、uh, a considerable amount of people surveyed in these countries have not made up their mind about defining this relationship with China? I think because、uh, for the last twenty、uh, some years,、uh, we've. Gone from one extreme on the spectrum to another. So I remember back when China entered the WTO at the beginning of the century.、Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone in the West was quite positive about it. They welcomed China. They welcomed the relationship with China. It was a continuation of the bridges that were built by、uh, President Nixon and Henry Kissinger,、uh, President Carter, and others. And in my country. And so、uh, we had this、uh, goodwill that lasted into the beginning of our century. But、uh, after that,、uh, we've developed this、uh, other, the other factors about the strategic rivalry, the competitor, and so on. So now I believe the narrative has changed.、Uh, public opinion takes time、uh, to form, and I think people are actually confused. They know that China is. An important uh, part of uh, the world economy, more than an important part. It's the linchpin.、Mm-hmm. It's the center of the global economy. But、uh, they're not sure about、uh, the the politics. And when they hear these 
messages from some EU leaders, from some EU member state leaders, certainly from American political leaders, I think there's a lot of confusion. So I want to go back to what was discussed before. Mm -hmm. I do think it's important for visitors from Europe uh, and America who are not coming to China at the moment to come here and to see the picture for themselves, because it shouldn't be through a filter and usually a false filter of a media, because seeing is believing. Mm. And when I came to China a few weeks ago for the first time after three years and seven months because of COVID, mm. I was actually afraid that Chinese people, when they found out that I was American, would treat me very badly and rudely or worse. But I have to say people have been especially nice. And I think that foreigners actually are afraid to come to China because they're not sure how they'll be treated when they come. So I think seeing is believing and people have to come here. Mm. Well, Harvey, on that, uh, especially, uh, you know, um, you know how people in the West view China, the ways or the channels, they acquire their impression about China. Some argue that since uh, the international media landscape these days are dominated by English um, and one of the, you know, some of the biggest the media empires in the world are coming from the United States. They argue that, you know, the majority of people in Western society actually acquire their impression of China from, uh, you know, American press. Do you agree with that? Why or why not? Yeah, I do think that they acquire mostly uh, that perception uh, from the Western press. And it's because it's what's most readily available. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, Americans are not good at doing foreign languages. Uh, Americans are good, good at foreign countries. They have a lack basic knowledge of most foreign countries. So I believe uh, it's a path of least resistance. So they follow the media and the language that they're familiar with. So I think that your first uh, premier, Joe Enlai, had this uh, model. He called it folk diplomacy. Mm. And it's what we today call people-to-people -people diplomacy. And I believe that this is the best way. So if Chinese people and European people, Americans and others can get to know that we're really more alike than we are different, that they're going to have a whole new attitude and they're going to break through the misperceptions of the media. So I'm very pleased in my visit to China after such a long time to see that people are friendly, more mm -hmm. friendly, and to see uh, that China, despite COVID, has progressed, uh, that it's cleaner, more efficient, mm -hmm. uh, and more welcoming than it was before. Right. Yun Yun, uh, let me get your take on this. Why do you think, you know, uh, a great number of people uh, surveyed in these countries are still undecided about, you know, defining their country's relations with China? You know, I, I was uh, I was just going to talk about people are getting confused. Uh, the same thing with Harvey. <laughs> mm. And he said people are getting confused. And, and I'm like, why they're getting confused? I think it's because the Western media are sending mixed signals because at, at some point they are saying that China's rise is a threat to their democracy. Mm. And on the other hand, they're saying China will collapse in a few years. So when people are getting these mixed messages, and I think especially the American people, the young generations, they are raised with critical thinking, questioning the, the authorities. You know, they're starting to think maybe why China is collapsing when, when a collapsing China is a threat to our democracy, 
people are getting confused. And really, I think Harvey made a very good point. Mm. And so um, if, if um, I welcome, actually, I think these people uh, are the people where we, who we can um, get, you know, get our message out and telling mm. them that China is not a threat. And what China has been doing uh, is not just good for itself, but also um, we want to create a uh, better and uh, fairer world. Mm. And China need to get its message out uh, in a capable way as the Western media. Mm. Uh, I don't know how, but um, let's start get getting started. Mm, indeed. You're listening to Chat Lunch on CDTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We'll be right back after a short break. CGTN Radio's most popular programs. World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews. We need the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Hello everyone, this is Zun Ahmed Khan, currently based in Tsinghua University. World Today is an excellent initiative to discuss current affairs by including experts from across the globe. I've always enjoyed our thought-provoking discussions and wish the team even more success and impact in the future. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing, and this is Chat Lounge on CDTN Radio. Continue with our discussion. Dr. Zugopoulos, about what Harvey mentioned, uh, that, you know, the Western press are getting mixed views of China out and, uh, you know, the public in Western society are actually, you know, receiving this, these messages. I mean, what do you think about that? Are the mixed messages coming from the press or from Western policymakers, do you think? Well, I, I would like to, to, to repeat what I said before, that mm. uh, the agenda setting uh, starts from the political elites. Mm. So it's the political elites themselves, the messages which are sent by the political elites, which are represented in both the media and the public discourse. This is what is happening, and this is what's also the literature of political communication in the West uh, is uh, suggesting. Uh, however, I would also like to bring another issue to our discussion, which I believe is very important for mm-hmm. the understanding of China in the West, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. So both uh, uh, Harvey and Yun uh, Yun mentioned the importance of people-to-people exchanges, but uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, this was not possible to happen. Uh, due to restrictions which were applied uh, in almost all countries of the world. 
So perhaps 2023 and 2024 can be a bit better years in the interpretation of China in the West, and especially in 2024 when more uh, groups of Chinese uh, tourists will visit other countries and more tourists from the West and from other countries will visit China, the situation will uh, will improve. So I want to insist on the people-to-people exchanges, but people-to-people exchanges could not uh, occur during the pandemic. So we can be mm. a little bit more optimistic. Well, thank you for mentioning that because uh, I agree it's very important, you know, for people to actually come uh, and, you know, visit each other. Uh, now, continue with our discussion. Um, the report also said, uh, shows that, you know, in, in general, young respondents uh, hold more positive views of China and are more often uh, more open than their elders to, you know, cooperating with the country. Uh, Harvey, how do you understand this trend? Well, you know, actually what this uh, German Marshall Fund survey found is very consistent with other uh, surveys, whether they're from Pew or European Council on Foreign Relations or a number of others that have been done quite recently. And it's been a trend of uh, a couple years past, actually. And I think it's because young people are more open, mm. that uh, they are more aware of what's going on in the world. Whereas I think us old people uh, have uh, prejudices, we're set in our ways. And especially in America, we have a history of yellow peril. We have a history of the Red Scare, Senator McCarthy and all that. And so I think the older you are, at least in America, the more prejudiced against China you are. I remember when I worked in the Carter administration, there were still people who talked about who lost China. Mm. And uh, you still have this kind of thinking today. And so I think young people are much more open. They're much more educated about this issue. And it's good because uh, Mm. we can uh, have them as a base for trying to propagate the true picture of uh, China and also of bilateral and multilateral relations. Mm. Dr. Zugopoulos, I understand you interact, you know, with a lot of students uh, during your in your work. How do you understand, how would you explain the trend that young people or young respondents are generally more positive toward China? Well, this is a very important question. Perhaps I can offer some uh, superficial remarks on this because it's very important to organize some focus groups and mm. ask the young people themselves. But I could, for example, uh, uh, focus on the success of some Chinese uh, technological companies, for instance. Mm. Uh, TikTok, for instance, is a social media platform which is widely used by young people. And it uh, can mirror the general technological success of China. So younger people can easily use TikTok, while older people, for instance, they find it much more difficult to to use it. So this is an example which is uh, suggesting uh, that uh, the technological success of China can have a bigger impact on the younger generation in in other countries. And obviously, as far as the older generation is concerned, I would say that from the moment the older generation, especially in the West, Uh, still remembers the Cold War experience, it is uh, natural for it to view current world affairs through the same prism, which is not uh, a case for the younger generation, which only knows the Cold War through the books and through some material that it perhaps reads. So there are different uh, understandings of China by different generations.
Mm, indeed, these people, you know, grow uh, up on. Yeah, Yunyun, please. Uh, I agree with, with uh, George because he mentioned、uh, social media like TikTok.、Uh, I think there are、um, because in social media, when everybody holds a microphone, and then、um, people can are exposed to、uh, different views, and especially for the younger generations. And <laughs> sorry, like nobody reads newspaper anymore,、mm. and、um, new people would still watch TV, and young people are on the internet. The whole day glued to their cell phone, so、uh, this this type of、uh, social media globalization and this kind of、uh, interconnectedness、uh, are bringing people closer, and especially for the younger generation. So they're more exposed to different cultures, different perspectives, and they get different information through、uh, internet and social media. So that. This kind of exposure would lead to a greater openness and a willingness to engage with,、um, you know, other countries, including China.、Mm, right. Yes, I can jump、thing. in. I have a I yeah, yeah, yeah. Harvey, please. Point of view. Is it okay? Yeah.、Um, I agree with those comments. Yes, and especially about the TikTok. So TikTok really has been very successful in America. The professor is absolutely right about that. And why the? That's why in Congress and in Washington there are significant efforts、uh, going on to ban TikTok. And at least one state has a ban, probably unconstitutional,、uh, Montana, on TikTok. So、uh, they're afraid that the、uh, the truth will get out, or a multiplicity of views will get out, and it, that threatens the、uh, established false narrative. In a way, so I think the professor was absolutely right. That TikTok has been a huge force in America, and there are other forces, countervailing forces, at work trying to stop it、uh, and to really、uh, put it down before it can do, in their view, more damage. But in my view,、mm. before it can help educate. People better, especially young people.、Mm. These、uh, social media have certainly played a role in shaping the younger generation's idea of China, and maybe about you know other developing countries as well. Let's let's see what the report says about、uh, U.S. EU relations in general.、Uh, the report finds that the public have become in the past year less optimistic about the transatlantic relationships trajectory. The drop in respondents、uh, anticipating a closer relationship correlates,、uh, in most cases, with an increase in those predicting the relationship will remain as it. Now is,、uh, Doctor Zugopoulos. How do you understand, you know, the background of this、uh, correlation? How do you understand, especially the drop in, you know, people anticipating a closer relationship? Well,、uh, as I said before, it is、uh, important to look at the, the substance of of transatlantic relations from the prism of both、uh, security and and then economic collaboration. So I would say that what are the expectations in 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 Europe from the United States and from closer U.S. EU relations in the future are rather relevant to these two aspects, so security and economic collaborations. But it's also Turkey which participates in this in this survey, which is mainly. Acting as an autonomous player in the international system, and this also reflecting this tendency is reflected in the、uh, results of the survey. 
Now, from the American perspective, uh, the understanding of, of, of security is quite uh, different. So what uh, the American uh, the American policymakers and what the American public uh, expect from Europe is to play a bigger uh, role in uh, supporting European security in order uh, to uh, help the United States deal uh, with uh, other issues which are on its own agenda. Uh, so I would say that there are different interpretations of uh, how EU-US relations are viewed and these different political interpretations are also reflected uh, on the uh, answers provided by the public, again, depending on the specific country, because Turkey is a very important actor, but Turkey is not a member of the European Union. Mm. Harvey, what do you think uh, and how would you respond to the different uh, players that was mentioned by Dr. Zagopoulos? I think it's a complicated picture. There's many, many factors here. And I do think that uh, because of COVID, uh, because the world, in a sense, has been turned upside down, because people in U.S. and uh, EU don't quite know what to make about China. Is it a friend? Is it an enemy? Is it a competitor? Um, That it really complicates the picture a great, great deal. And so we need to find a way to get more clarity here. But I also believe that EU, a relatively new political institution, is feeling its own way. And like I said before, I believe that uh, sooner or later, and we see signs of already, especially from a country like France, that uh, the EU will start to exercise more of its own strategic autonomy And I think the EU is going to have a different uh, perspective on many issues from America. That's going to create some dissonance between uh, the two political entities. So I'm not surprised really about the results that we're discussing. Yuan Yuan, what do you think about this uh, drop, you know, Um, in numbers uh, anticipating a closer relationship? First of all, I think it may have something to do with the um, ongoing war between Mm. Uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, After all, it's um, on the European continent and America is far away, is on another continent. So um, uh, many people are becoming tired of having this uh, ongoing discussion like Mm. uh, for a long time. And also there is another factor, which which is China. Um, From my perspective, and I think the EU needs the United States when it comes to security issues and when it comes to uh, economy, trade, um, some uh, energy, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of the world. China is the world factory. So they need China on some issues. And sometimes maybe they find that China is not as bad as some might depict it. Mm. So uh, I think this kind of, um, there are a lot of factors in play. I mean, there's Russia, there's China. Uh, I'm very surprised to see China have a, you know, have has its own co- on contents page. There mm-hmm. is a column mm. called China. Mm. Uh, so uh, mm. on this, on this report. So it means there are a lot of factors um, in, in the play. So uh, I, I think it's um, um, it's hard, you know, um, mm. but, but at the same time, they share a lot of um, similarities, the same history, culture. 
even mm. though it is a slightly um, less close to uh, between the EU and United States, I mean, mm. but in the future, maybe with the uh, change of administrations in the U.S., things will get better. Um, mm. I don't know. Let's wait and see. Right. Now, Dr. Zugopoulos, about uh, this China factor that Yunyun just mentioned, uh, how do European countries uh, view their their role with between the United States and China? I mean, are the China interests of EU countries completely um, in line with that of the Americans? I would say that the the, the European understanding of of of, of China mm. uh, is uh, adjusting to how the world uh, is uh, developing. Mm. And uh, while during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, it had been very difficult to understand uh, China uh, in Europe due to the lack of people-to-people's exchanges, uh, in the last months, it is becoming a little bit better. And this is also impacting on the general understanding uh, uh, of China in the European uh, public. So I would say that... Uh, uh, as uh, things are developing right now, the general interpretation of uh, China uh, in Europe uh, is uh, still a little bit contradictory, but at the same time it is better in comparison to the pandemic years because from a European perspective and from the perspective of the European public, uh, China is an important actor in uh, uh, responding to global challenges such as climate change, for instance. So for mm. the younger generation in Europe, for example, uh, China should be uh, an actor uh, that can play a catalytic role in responding to such a challenge. So this is uh, how the European, uh, uh, the European understanding of China is being currently shaped. So it's still contradictory, but a little bit better in comparison to previous years of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. Dr. Zugopoulos, as you mentioned, you know, security is one of the most important uh, pillars of uh, transatlantic relations. While the report finds NATO and the European Union are seen as equally important pillars of international security for these countries, support for U.S. involvement in European security and defense remains high among respondents. Now, do you expect uh, this sentiment to be reflected in policymaking across the Atlantic? Why or why not? Well, I would uh, reverse the question. I would say that this mm. uh, uh, sentiment, again, starts from uh, the uh, clear uh, policies and is echoed in both the media and the public uh, discourse. And the general, uh, the general position, the general standing, I would say, in, in, in Europe is that the United States is a very important contributor to the security of, of the old continent. Mm -hmm. And this came to the forefront, it came to the epicenter of attention in the uh, uh, aftermath of the beginning of the war in Ukraine. But at the same time, the fact that uh, the European Union is largely dependent on American security is also accelerating discussions in Europe whether uh, the European Union should also make its own practical steps towards this direction. So it is this change that might have an impact on how transatlantic relations might be viewed by the European public in the future. But as things are right now, 
from the European perspective, the U.S. is by far the most important contributor to the security of the old continent. Harvey, how do you, how do you think the American policymakers,、uh, American politicians, American leadership is、uh, viewing, you know, this、uh, American role in European defense these days? It's、Harvey. a complicated question,、mm. actually,、um, and I. Believe it depends who you talk to.、Mm. Uh, Donald Trump did tremendous damage in terms of the North Atlantic、uh, Alliance, in terms of NATO,、uh, because、uh, he's not an internationalist. He's、uh, America first, and everybody else second, or not at all. And I think this attitude prevails among a、uh, minority of Americans. I do think, especially after the war、uh, in Ukraine has been waging, that most Americans see that the NATO and the、uh, defense cooperation is very important. Although I'll have to say as well that、uh, some people are getting tired of the war and funding it in America. And I believe that this is going to be an interesting issue in our presidential、uh, elections.、Mm-hmm. I also think. That,、uh, as the professor said,、uh, that this issue of strategic autonomy is very much、uh, a work in progress. But to me, it's only natural as the nations develop that they do what's in their own self-interest, as opposed to the interests of others.、Uh, the U.S. can、uh, arm twist and cajole as much as it wants, but if it's not in Europe's uh, interest, uh, then Europe's going to. Draw a line in the sand and say no. I am concerned, however, about American attempts to、uh, make NATO、uh, a an actor in the, as they call it now, Indo-Pacific.、Mm. Because you remember that at,、uh, a few months ago、uh, there was a move to open an office of NATO in Tokyo. Right. And I think this is completely wrong.、Uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization is exactly that. It has nothing to do、uh, with Asia, and in fact, if you look at American history, back in the、uh, early days of the Cold War and the Eisenhower administration, there was a proposal for the very stringent anti-communist Secretary of State John Foster Dulles to do something he called CETO,、uh, mm-hmm. the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, that was going to be a NATO for the the Asia that Asian region, and. Uh, that didn't go anywhere, and I don't believe that the American proposal to have a NATO、uh, now in Asia is going anywhere, and it shouldn't go anywhere.、Mm, right, that、uh, pro- proposal has、uh, has stirred up、uh, some worries in Asia. The chat lounge. The chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Let's see what、uh, we have discussed、uh, will mean for policymakers. Let's take a look at the policy implications of、uh, these. Now, Dr. Zagopoulos, let's be realistic and be honest. Who do you think gets to decide transatlantic relations among the two, the U.S. or European countries? Well, it's all about power. So, from、mm. the moment the Euro, the United States is the biggest contributor. To、uh, European security, it is natural for、uh, the United States、uh, to play a very important role where decisions are being made.、Uh, 
But again, uh, in looking toward the future of relations between the United States and the European uh, Union, uh, the European Union does not envisage for this relationship to proceed uh, by the United States being the uh, the only player that uh, is mm. uh, exercising policies in this context. So although the situation right now is very clear and is relevant to facts, and facts are suggesting that the United States are guaranteeing the security of the old continent, still the European Union wants the transatlantic relationship to be more balanced for it to also uh, play a bigger role e when decisions are being made. So it's here where we are. Mm. Um, Harvey, what do you think? Who gets to define this, you know, decide or define this relationship? Yeah, we have a saying in Washington uh, that money talks, though it means, you know, you have to pay to play. And like the professor said, um, the Americans have the bulk of the funding for defense uh, as well as a number of other things. So I think that's where it's going to stand for the moment and maybe for the foreseeable future. But if I were uh, a European Union citizen, I would start to think about how my future was going to be defined and we're going to let it be defined by another country primarily, or if we're going to start to exercise our own. And so I think there's an election not only in America coming up, but there's mm -hmm. also EU parliamentary elections coming up next year. And I don't know if this is going to be an issue in those elections or not. Usually foreign policy in America is not an issue, but I think in Europe it's more of an issue, and I think it will be an issue. But I think for the foreseeable future, it's America that has the, the money and so America will, uh, to the extent that uh, it has, maybe a little bit less so, it's going to um, play, uh, it's going to play a big role, but with a caveat. Mm. The caveat is if Donald Trump or somebody who thinks like him, and it could be a Democrat too, not necessarily just a Republican, mm. if somebody is an American firster, they're going to want to cut all this funding to NATO and the defense and so on and put the money into America, which, sorry to say, mm. is a kind of broken country when you compare it to some places in uh, China or in Europe. So uh, there is a strong growing sentiment by some people in the United States of America first. Let's spend the money at home. And this could play a crucial role in the future of NATO, in the future of transatlantic relations, not only defense, but political and economic mm -hmm. as well. Now, uh, thank you for mentioning, you know, the domestic political uh, election factor in this uh, whole picture. Dr. Zugopoulos, um, one final question for you. How do you think the China factor will influence, um, you know, transatlantic relations moving forward? Because, uh, it is, it has become quite clear the United States will continue to seek, uh, rivalry or competition or, you know, containment of China moving forward. Well, this is a very important uh, question. And uh, mm. on the whole, uh, the general position in Europe. Uh, is that uh, China needs also to be seen as a partner. Mm. Competition uh, is not a bad thing. Competition exists in the world. The question is up to what extent this competition will not lead 
to uh, tensions uh, with the capacity of those tensions to create frictions in the world. So competition, if it is fair, is a good thing that can push the world toward the right direction. But again, I would like to offer another remark here, which goes beyond the European debate. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that a lot will depend also on the future policies of China mm -hmm. toward this direction. So uh, China now is open, so it's much more easy not only for European policymakers and politicians to talk to Chinese politicians, but also for ordinary citizens uh, from Europe to go to China and from China to go to Europe. So all this can contribute uh, to a new level of understanding that can at least guarantee the basics, which are uh, cooperation toward prosperity and peace. So in that direction, despite the difficulties, I'm optimistic. And again, I want to insist that a lot will also depend on the future Chinese po uh, policies. Mm. Yeah, I just want to get one final thought from you on, you know, what Dr. Zugapla said about, you know, China's policy. How do you think China should handle, you know, its, uh, its role between European Union and United States? Well, uh, I think it, it depends on the EU and the US uh, because China has always been uh, open-minded about cooperation and in various fields. And if the US can lift all the sanctions against China, I think we are good. And we are seeing positive trends here uh, in between uh, Washington and Beijing. Mm. A lot of ministers are talking with each other. They've been setting up uh, working groups. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, we are all heading toward mm. uh, something good. Mm. At least I hope so. I hope so. Indeed, that certainly is the hope. But uh, as we have uh, all talked about, this is a rather complex issue. Uh, and certainly the transatlantic relations are important to the United States, to European countries, and perhaps uh, also to the rest of the world. Well, that wraps up our discussion. Again, I want to thank our guests. They are Harvey Zodin, former vice president of ABC TV Network, and also senior fellow at the Center for China and Global Globalization. Liu Yuyun, Associate Editor-in-Chief of Beijing Review. Also, Dr. George Zugopoulos, Director of EU-China Programs and Senior Research Fellow at European Institute of Nice. You've been listening to Chatlonge on CGTN Radio. Thank you for joining us for this edition. Until next time, I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taihe Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening.